Hello, and welcome to Vet Club. We're having a vet talk. What are we talking about, Tover? Probably, I think you've been saying fluid therapy. I'm talking about liquid therapy. Liquid therapy. <laughs> no, we're gonna- Because fluids could be gases also, and breathing is not what you're talking yes. about. My husband is a dork, and so he's like, fluids, oh, that could be gases too. Yeah, so if you take the course, so we're going to talk about, so we're going to talk, which was not the course that we're talking about. Um, so that was for you, liquid therapy. Yeah, you guys have all these specific words for stuff, but when other people have specific words for things, you just don't care. Yeah. It, it, yes. That's exactly right. It was like five different names for the head. Yes. And you have to know all of them. Yeah. Don't just say head. That's so imprecise. <laughs> um, so what we're going to talk about is fluid therapy, um, which for Topher and other physicists out there listening is is going to be like liquid therapy that we would use in medicine. So not any fluids, but liquid fluids. Um, specifically... We're really going to be talking mostly about like intravenous fluid therapy. Um, we may talk a little bit about some other um, methods of, of giving fluids. But I never talk about intramars therapy. Intramars, yeah. But um, bum Oh my gosh, you're just so Let me see what funny. button that is. I think, I think it's this one. The sound's oh, not up. Sound's so not. that's not going to work. Try it again. Nope, not that one for sure. No, Wait. turn that one off. There that one, the other blue one. Um, it's been a while apparently since you made a joke and needed to do that. Well, our, we keep our, uh, control panel on the ground since we're still not in our house. Yeah, that's true. Don't set your house on fire, friends. Okay. So at any rate, um, we're going to talk about fluid therapy from henceforth, uh, Topher, you just need to understand when yeah, I say fine. fluid therapy, I mean like, it doesn't bother me. It's just it something else that's silly. Like it does. And so we actually went, I went back and looked through, we have a lot of episodes, like over 150 episodes now. And fluid therapy only has come up a couple of times. And we've not ever done a show that was like just about fluid therapy. Which is weird because it's like one of your biggest soapboxes. (laughs) No, I talk about it all the time. So, I mean, I'm sure there's other shows where it's come up, but we haven't had a show that was dedicated to talking about fluid therapy and all of my soapboxes associated with fluid therapy. Um, and it's funny, uh, it, this is not just a me thing. And I know this because I had a student come up to me after class the other day that was like, so I was doing an externship and there was another criticalist who was also like talking about fluid therapy and they had very strong opinions about things. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's kind of one of the things that um, we talk about a lot. We care about a lot in in critical care. Um, and I, okay, so it's really important that I emphasize this at the beginning and I'll probably try to emphasize it throughout Fluid therapy is challenging. Like it's not easy. And if you're out there and you're like doing fluid therapy, you're administering fluids and you're thinking, no, fluid therapy is easy. I would challenge, I would argue and say, you're probably doing it wrong (laughs) because it's really hard. There's a lot, um, there's a lot to consider. Um, and so like you talk about the class like called fluid dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I think about fluid dynamics, I think about like all of the ways that liquids, primarily water, really we're talking about water sometimes salt water, but generally water molecules are moving throughout the body. And, and that the physiology of that is often what um, I go back to when I think about like what makes sense um, for this patient. Like why, why are we wanting to give fluids? So that's like the first thing. Um, And and it's a, is, is, should we be giving fluids? And if so, what are the indications? Like why are we even wanting to administer fluids to our patients? And it's a step that I think often gets skipped, which is weird. Right. Because yeah, because people kind of think, oh, it's water. You can just pump it full and be fine. I think the other thing is that in medicine, people are like, it's such a common thing. Like there's so many cases where we do want to give fluid therapy and it can be really helpful that we assume that all sick patients need fluid therapy um, or and like forever. And, And that's just not true. It's just an easy first step. Yeah. And it seems like, oh, it can't hurt, which anybody... Um, who has ever really spent any time with me in a, in a clinical setting knows that that's like one of my least favorite phrases, period, is that um, any like it can't hurt because that's not a thing in medicine. Anything that you do um, could potentially cause harm and anything you choose not to do could potentially cause harm. Like all the choices that you make have the potential to be either wrong um, or in their own ways, you know, associated with some degree of harm. And, and that's kind of sucky, but that's just how it is. Um, so there's nothing that we do that can't hurt. There are things that are low risk. And in most situations, fluid therapy, I I don't, I hesitate to even say would be low risk because there's actually like a lot of risks with fluid therapy. So the first thing I think is really important is to consider like, 
does this patient even need us to give it fluid therapy? Um, and I think it's also easy to forget that like there are patients, people, individuals, dogs, cats, and like walking around living their lives, not getting medically administered fluid therapy. And why is that Topher? Because they can drink water. Because yes, they're eating and drinking. And, and I, I, I usually lump those together eating and drinking because like in the wild, right. Um, you know, if you remove human beings from this equation, um, animals are drinking water. Like it's, it's water. That is what they're drinking. We are drinking water that has also got a bunch of additives to it, whether yeah. that's sugar. Yeah, exactly. So it makes it taste Candy good. Candy water. Candy water. Yeah. Um, and so we are getting sometimes a lot of other, um, molecules, sometimes nutrients, sometimes not. Um, but mostly animals are drinking pure water. Most of our pets are just drinking pure water. Um, and so then they also need to eat to get other nutrients and solutes and things like that, which so do we. But um, when we're giving fluids, it's rare, like when we're administering fluids in a, in a medical setting, in a clinic or hospital setting, it's rarely pure water. And we can talk about why that is. But um, so we add, you know, salt, essentially, other electrolytes and things to it. So I like to say, grave. you know, <laughs> yeah, right. I like to say that like animals um, and people, whatever, they don't need fluid therapy because they're eating and drinking and they listen to their bodies and they go, huh, I feel hungry. I feel thirsty. I crave this. And then they, they respond. What are you laughing about? Oh, there was the, an Instagram the other day that we can't repeat. Oh, I don't remember which one this is, but <laughs> the lady is like, I'm having cravings. You're such a goof. Um, <laughs> this is a professional show. Topher. Sorry. <laughs> so Lately, you've been inappropriate lately. I haven't said anything. I'm going to have to start muting you. Where's the mute button? I control the mute button. Yeah, that's the problem. So at any rate, yes, but people do have cravings for things like water. We, f we feel thirst. Um, usually when our osmolality goes up, like the amount of the proportion of salt and water and other, you know, um, not just salt, but tip, mostly salt, um, starts to increase. The proportion of that increases in our blood and we have little, you know, chemoreceptors that go, hey, the salt uh, content is getting too high. You should probably dilute that out with a little bit of water. And then they send the signal and your brain goes, I experience the feeling of thirst. Mm -hmm. I crave water. Um, and that's, you know, where that comes from. There's also the fail safe that if your blood volume gets too low and like pressure starts to fall, you also have baroreceptors, but that's a later change. Like we're trying to keep um, things, you know, pretty, pretty tightly regulated. So you feel thirst. Um, again, you feel hungry in a, in a variety of scenarios when your, um, you know, your perceived energy stores are low or your blood glucose might get low. That could lead to hunger. Lots of that. Hunger is actually a lot more complex than thirst in a lot of ways, but it's also a less powerful stimulus. Um, thirst is a really, really powerful one. Um, and you, you lose thirst way after you lose hunger. So animals that are nauseated or really don't feel like eating often will still drink. Um, and that comes down to the fact that you can go for weeks, um, several weeks without eating and survive. You can go a couple of days without drinking and still survive. And that's not a very fun existence, even those couple of days. So, it, it, you know, the thirst stimulus is really powerful. So all of that to say is, does this patient actually need us to administer fluids? Well, one of the criteria that should be met to answer that question is yes, is that they're not willing and able to eat and drink on their own. Um, because if they are, we should let them. <laughs> there's, there's rare circumstances where we shouldn't allow them to eat and drink and, and even rarer still where that would be for a prolonged period of time that we would need to administer fluids. So is, is the patient not eating, not drinking, and therefore, I'm, and I'm worried it's not going to start eating and drinking soon, that's one that might need fluid therapy. Um, and so, yeah, like that's one of the criteria that I think needs to be met to be considering fluid therapy. Do you think, what are the other indications that you hear me ranting about? Do you remember? Mm. Or you mostly ignore me? I mostly ignore you. It's probably smart. <laughs> we want to we want to stay married and be happy. So you should ignore a lot of the rants that I usually hear. Yeah, like they're gonna hurt the kidneys or blah 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. So the kidneys are funny, funny little organs that um, don't do well if they are if there aren't it isn't enough fluids. But they also don't do well if there's too much because the kidneys are the ones that have to deal with it. If there's not enough fluids, the kidneys have to come around and hang on to as much water as possible to prevent dehydration. And if there's too much, the kidneys are like, oh, I got to get rid of all this extra fluid. And if we do that in the extreme in either direction and the kidneys it's not fair they get harmed so what's like the so how much water does a 20 pound dog usually have how much what like how much of the dog is water yeah. or how much does it drink so about like two-thirds of a dog is water and then 
So so twenty pounds. So two thirds of twenty pounds, fourteen, yeah. fifteen pounds of that um, dog is water. And then how much is too much water, and how much is too little water? Interesting. Yeah. So because um, it seems like it would be easy, you're just like, oh, this dog should weigh such yeah. and such amount, so it should have this much water in it. Yeah. And then be like, well, how much is too much? Or so if I if the dog only has to just to make it easy, it's supposed yeah. to have one liter of water, then I should never give it two liters of water in yeah. a day. So, but I can give it one and a half. Yeah. So, um, you, you actually, you kind of hit this, hit the nail right on the head here, which is pretty impressive. Um, that well, we I use, just think of it like a balloon. You don't want to put too much and pop the dog. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a simplified analogy, but a good one. Um, so if two thirds of a dog is water, right. Um, we absolutely can and do use body weight to get a sense for, Hey, what's going on? The problem with using body weight is you have to know what their body weight should be, which we, yeah, we, we don't always know. That well. Yeah. Um, well you can estimate it, but the problem is the differences we're talking about. Okay. So your original question was like how much water, like missing water is too much and how much over, you know, too much water is whatever. So your body is actually pretty resilient and we won't even be able to tell, like me as a doctor, won't be able to examine this patient and know that it's dehydrated um, unless it's probably at least five or 6% dehydrated, which means it's lost five or 6% of its body weight in the form of water. That's what we're saying when we say it's 6% dehydrated. 6% of its body weight um, is lost in the form of water. And so it, let me do some math on my phone here. So if it's- That's kind of a tight window. It is, yeah. It, it's a, I'm assuming 5% over is too much also. Yeah, and that, that's the interesting thing is we don't really have similar numbers for that, but that's often the scale I use as well. Is I say within plus or minus 5%, you're probably okay. Your body can handle that. And when you start to expand beyond that, that and we don't have studies to say on the overhydration side that that's what the number is, but um, that's that's the scale I use. Um, I say if you know under by five percent, like plus or minus five percent is pretty reasonable. So, so a thirty kilogram dog that'd be about twenty kilograms of water, and mm -hmm. so yeah, and twenty kilograms of water is twenty kilograms of weight. So yeah, twenty. So liters. one point five exactly. So a quarter. One point five that is. liters or one point five kilograms. One liter. Yeah. Plus or minus. Well, I just did the math on my, my calculator. Oh, so. I did it in my head. I yeah, know. that's why mine's more accurate. So, so if a 30 kilogram dog is 5% dehydrated, they are missing one and a half liters of water. Oh, so it's the 5% dehydrated includes the entire weight of the dog, yes. not just the water? So the 5%, yes. So it's even less than 5%. Yes. Yeah. If you're talking about, just, it's not 5% of the water. We're saying 5% of this dog's body weight is missing in the form of water. Okay. So um, it's a little more than. So it okay. is. Yeah. So um, it, it, that's what we're saying. If I, if it's all based on estimates, right? Um, yeah. So people have said, okay, we're going to dehydrate them by this amount. Um, and then we say, okay, we're going to correspond that to what changes we see on a physical exam. Um, and up to about 5%, you won't really see any changes. And then as it exceeds there, then you start to get changes in how their skin feels, um, the elasticity in their skin or the turgor. Um, we can talk about um, like how their eyes can get sunken because the fat pads that live behind your eyes get dehydrated and then there's less water. So your eyes kind of sink in a little bit. Um, so that's what Christian Bale does. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so there's other things that um, will change on a physical exam. Problems with that are one, they're subtle and, and somewhat subjective changes. Two, there are individual variations in that animal. Like some animals are either as you age or, you know, with, depending on your the, their weight, you can imagine an animal that's already very thin, the fat pads behind their eye are already pretty small. And so they might have sunken looking eyes when their hydration is actually normal. So it's complicated, right? Um, and so assessing hydration is not as straightforward as it seems like it would be. Now, if I know this animal is when it's happy and healthy and its weight is where it should be and its hydration is appropriate, this is its weight. And then later it becomes dehydrated. I can compare that. And, I, and that's, that's a fairly accurate way to assess hydration. As long as other things haven't affected their weight, like they went on a diet or they had an amputation or something else. Um, but if I'm meeting this animal for the first time and I don't know what their weight should be, I am sort of back 
I'm, I'm guessing backwards. So yeah, I'm saying, okay, your weight Instagram. right now, you have to check their Instagram. Yeah, because everybody's posting their weight on Instagram. They're like um, their dog. They oh, they're their checking dog. their dogs. Maybe maybe people should start doing that, posting their pets' weights on Instagram. Just There's the, just the pictures of it, you'd be able yeah, to tell. that might help some, That's but it's still an estimate. That's a fatter dog. Right? But the thing is that you can lose one and a half kilograms in water weight in a day from dehydration. And so, um, so FYI, kids, um, if you go on a diet and it promises that you're going to lose all this weight in a matter of a day, chances are there's a lot of water weight involved in that weight loss um, because it's actually incredibly hard to lose actual body weight, not just water weight. Losing water weight is pretty easy. Just don't drink water and keep peeing. Maybe take diuretics, which are like some of the... um, like rapid fad diets that people will do. Mm. You'll take a, a diuretic, which makes you pee more. And as long as you don't listen to your body and drink to make up for it, you will lose weight. Yeah, quickly. Go jogging in a trash bag. Yes. Dumb, dumb, unsafe things that you shouldn't do, but they will work for weight loss in the sense that you'll be dehydrated. I remember in high school, um, like there would be um, people on the, the wrestling team and they would be mm-hmm. spitting all the time because yeah, if you spit, you become dehydrated faster, I guess, so they could make weight. And I'm just like, who is encouraging this? These are children. This should not be happening. Anyway, okay. So knowing what the appropriate hydration of a patient is is, is hard. But if you know or suspect that a patient is dehydrated, that is a good indication for fluid therapy, right? Especially, um, or maybe, I would argue almost like only, if they're also not eating and drinking. Because what do you think happens to an animal um, who is willing to eat and drink, but becomes dehydrated because maybe they didn't have access to food and water? What do you think happens if you provide access to food and water? They'll eat and drink. Well, yeah, but you know, will they will they make up for those losses? Yeah. Yes, yes, they will. It just makes sense, right? I could right? totally eat a lot if I was hungry. Yeah, or if you're thirsty, you drink, and then you go, okay, I feel better. And then like an hour later, you're like, I think I'm thirsty again, so you drink some more. Um, so it turns out that animals that have access to food and water and are feeling well enough to eat and drink will not only maintain what they need, they will listen to their body and take in more if that's what's needed. This happens a lot in animals that you know have like some diarrhea but they're otherwise eating and drinking and acting fine. And it's a very, very common um, uh, behavior for doctors to see an animal with the, uh, with diarrhea and be like, oh, they need fluids so that they don't get dehydrated. And I go, actually, just give them a little extra water. Like if you make it available to them, they will listen to their body and they will just drink a little bit more um, to make up for any extra losses they had from the diarrhea. Just like... If, um, if you drink a little extra, more than you needed to, your body's like, oh, that was more than we needed. And then you make more pee. So anybody who is um, carrying around one of those big jugs of water and like, you know, whether you feel thirsty or not, you're like, I have to drink this much every day. Well, you're going to pee more than the average person. And your urine is probably going to look much clearer than the average person. Um, and it, there's very dubious, um, like... I, I personally am like, this doesn't make sense. Like I understand physiology and drinking more than your body says you should. Like if you're ignoring your own body saying, I don't feel thirsty, you're like, but I must drink. I, it doesn't make sense to me. And uh, the evidence that supports this is either non-existent or very dubious. So for what it's worth. Um, yeah, I think most of that stuff, like the, the health thing for people comes from, like here's a general guideline yeah. for a top performing athlete yeah, and then people apply it to themselves who, who sit are at a not desk all a day. top performing. Yeah. Like a lot of the research on these types of things do get performed on, on athletes. Yeah. Um, like if you're an Olympic sprinter, you need to drink this much. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, I would like to be an Olympic sprinter. So yeah. I'm going to do none of the training, none of the <laughs> but events, if I drink the but water. I'm going to drink that much water. Yeah. I don't actually even know where, like how things get so far out of field, but at any rate, that's because all the research is on, I mean, a lot of it is, is on like um, gifted athletes. Some well, it depends on which research you're looking at. There is a fair bit that's looking at like unhealthy individuals. Yeah, as but well. a lot of like the good research the by kinesiologists that, and things along those. Well, because they're controlled studies too, and yeah. they ha- they have access to somebody who has a very like regimented routine. Like I do this and I do this, and and we can quantify how much you're eating, and we can quantify how much energy you're spending, and so it makes sense to do research in those. And that people. person will do what you say. Yeah, whereas it's yeah. just like that's what I mean. They have a, a regular Joe is like, uh, yeah, I'll drink that much water. But Maybe. I also but I also stopped at McDonald's on the way home, and I had a Coke. Yeah. It was a diet Coke. It was fine. Um, so, okay. The, so the reasons to give fluids are if a patient is dehydrated, uh, we also didn't talk about if they're hypovolemic, meaning they have too low 
volume of blood in their blood, like in their bloodstream, there's not enough volume. And that can happen from a lot of reasons. It can happen from like just straight blood loss, but it can also happen with rapid losses of fluids from the body. Um, and if they become hypovolemic, they typically, are, they're in shock. Um, because if you don't have enough blood in your blood, your body's like, this is not enough, this is bad. And then it starts to send out the alarm signals and your body tries to compensate until you can correct it. And so if you have a patient who is hypovolemic or you believe is hypovolemic, absolutely, that patient should get fluids and probably very quickly in the form of a bolus, meaning give give the amount as quickly as you can. Um, versus a dehydrated patient, like they're not unless it's incredibly severe to where now they're also hypovolemic, dehydrated patients are okay. And so uh, for now, as long as we can either provide them the extra water to drink voluntarily, or we can provide them with intravenous or some other parenterally administered fluids, we can, we can catch up with what was missing and then also provide whatever maintenance they need if they're not eating and drinking. So catching up with anything that's missing. So so far, we've got essentially two reasons to give fluids to a patient. One is if they're not willing or able to eat and drink on their own to keep up and just maintain their obligatory losses. So whatever they're making every day to get rid of waste. So through urine, a little bit through feces, sweating, respiratory losses, like you just you lose some fluids some liquids and also fluids, I guess <laughs> that would be correct in this situation. Um, so you just need to maintain. So you have to eat and drink some all, you know, on a regular basis to keep up with those. Yeah. I have to get rid of this stuff. Um, that happens. So that's one reason maintenance. And then the other reason is to replace something that's missing either a, like that was lost gradually and you're dehydrated or that was lost rapidly and you're hypovolemic, but either way I'm replacing missing fluid. So, Two reasons really to give fluids, to maintain um, for normal losses all the time and to replace missing fluids. Those are the two main reasons to give fluids. And if like people out there only remembered these ones, I think we'd be okay. Is there ever a reason where an animal hasn't recently leaked that you would need to give fluids? So it hasn't like had diarrhea or vomited mm -hmm. or been mm -hmm. like lost a bunch of blood, something that's all the obvious yeah. things. So there are a like, couple other instances where we are anticipating fluid loss. So the classic example that I would give would be a patient that's about to undergo general anesthesia. So under general anesthesia, they have excessive losses. They lose more fluids in that time frame than they would if they weren't under anesthesia for a variety of reasons. Um, probably the most important one is if they're under anesthesia, they're probably undergoing a surgical procedure. And depending on what that surgical procedure is, if, it, if you're opening a major body cavity, meaning the chest or the abdomen, a lot of evaporative losses can happen because the skin is really good at preventing water from evaporating from your body. But once you put a break in the skin, everything underneath that gets dried out really fast. Like your skin is dry and it's designed for that. The insides are not supposed to be dry. You are two thirds water. And if you, um, uh, like you're, you're a big sack of water. And if anybody calls you something differently, that's not true. You're a sack of water. <laughs> you're a wonderful person. No, you're a big sack of you're water. You're a sack of water. Um, but you are, you're, you're two thirds water. And so if you open up um, the skin and allow all that water to be exposed to the air, your insides are more humid than even in Florida. Um, even that, like the most humid conditions you can imagine, your insides are more humid than that. And so you will start to lose um, water that way, evaporative losses. So animals that are under anesthesia and undergoing surgery can lose a lot of fluid. And so we can replace that. So we're anticipating excessive losses. Um, and so we're going to try to keep up with those. So we would give even a patient that's well hydrated, it's not going to eat, but it's only a couple hours for this procedure, but you're going to lose a lot more. So we would get put you on um, moderate rate of fluids. That rate um, has come down a lot over the years. So people used to be like, you have to, be, I think I was taught in school, 10, five to 10 mils per, no, I think I was taught 10 mils per kg per hour of fluids while they were under anesthesia. It, then that got years ago, it got cut like maybe in half, like maybe five mils per kilo per hour. And now it's like, maybe that's even too much, probably more like two to three for most patients, two to three mils per kg per hour fluids under anesthesia is probably sufficient. Um, and so it, what, what that tells me is that we don't really know exactly how much you need under anesthesia. It's probably more than nothing, if, especially if it's a long procedure, but for like a short procedure. So if I've got a patient 
that I'm going to put in or anesthesia and I think it's going to be half an hour because we're going to put like an esophagostomy tube in an E-tube, one of those feeding tubes in the neck. Um, I'm probably not even going to bother putting them on fluids for that half hour. I'm not opening up a body cavity. Um, it's going to be really quick and anything that they get behind, I'm going to have an E-tube in afterwards. I can always give them extra water that way if I need to. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm probably not even going to put that one on fluids for that period of time. Um, now under anesthesia, if they get low blood pressure because of vasodilation, this is an interesting one. Um, so one of the described and appropriate methods for addressing low blood pressure under anesthesia um, is to give a fluid bolus. And the problem with this is that the reason that their blood pressure is low may not be because of low fluids. Um, in fact, there's a very good chance that it's from the anesthetic drugs that's causing um, vasodilation. So the blood vessels are expanding and now the uh, blood volume that you had before that was completely fine is now not enough to fill this larger capacity of the, the vasculature. Um, and so you can give a fluid bolus to help that blood pressure and that's fine. However, you need to recognize that I just gave them fluids to correct a problem that the problem wasn't not enough fluids. So if I do that and their blood pressure comes up, good, good. That's a good thing. I want their blood pressure to be higher. But later on, I need to go, hey, I gave them too much fluid. Like I gave them more fluid than they needed. Yeah, so when they cover from the anesthetics, maybe don't keep giving them fluid. They're not going to be dilated anymore. Right. As soon as you take, exactly right. So as soon as you take those drugs away from the anesthesia and their blood vessels tighten back up, they now have extra fluid to contend with. And they, they probably can. We just need to let them. So instead of keeping them on fluids afterwards, or maybe they needed fluids for some other reason, we should account for that extra fluid we gave them for a non low fluid reason, like that should factor into our, our assessment of them and say, hey, I'm going to give them a lower fluid rate or I'm not going to put them on fluids for a bit until we've kind of caught up and, and reestablished that normal uh, uh, amount of fluids. Uh, and I don't think people routinely do that. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm here to say that it is okay to address low blood pressure or, you know, poor, like, uh, you know, problems with perfusion with a fluid bolus, even if that's not the likely cause, if that's a temporary fix, right? We're saying this is a temporary situation. Anesthesia is typically a temporary situation. And you account for that extra fluids in your overall plan. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Just I like how you account for your sharps. Got to write it down. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that. It gave it extra and gave it that's actually a really carry. important thing, though, to, to keep track of your sharps when you're under anesthesia. You don't want the people, um, anybody stabbing themselves inadvertently after they're cleaning up after your messy bomb. Um, so keep track of all your sharps, too. That's a good point. Good job. And your towels, because you don't want to end up With in towels general on hospital. The inside, on general hospital. Is that like a thing? Yeah, there's always like going in surgery. Oh, there's a towel in this person. Yeah, that's it's it happens, but it's pretty rare. But yes, we have counts all the time on TV. Yeah, and TV we know is absolutely reflective of real life. Uh -huh. um, so we do count in and count out for all the sponges and things. Like, literally, like you open the pack and you, there's supposed to be a certain number, but we count them and go one, two, three, and then they write it down. And then before we close up the patient, we go, we're, we're going to count them out again to make sure we have all the same numbers. And then also, um, modern lapar laparotomy sponges and towels, they all have um, a, a like a strip through them. You know how like dollar bills have like that yeah. verification Security. strip. Yeah. They have yes. those, they have those for surgical sponges and towels too. So that if you go to take x-rays afterwards, they show up obviously because yeah. normally cloth doesn't show up very well. Um, so it's like, Hey, if you left this behind, you can at least take an x-ray in very quickly now. Anyway, we got off topic. Uh oh, <laughs> see, that's what you get for going They should do like a little EAS scanner. Like you, you roll the, the animal back out. Poo, poo, poo. Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh oh, somebody's trying to steal something. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the problem is every time you went in and out with those things, it would go off. That would yeah. be obnoxious. Um, okay, so there's there's really not that many indications for giving fluids. I like I harp on that. Um, I harp on a lot of things. That's one of my that's one of my it's deals. So easy, and it looks like you did something. It does. It feels good for us, whether it's good for the patient or not. I feel better. That's not a good reason to to do something, as it turns out. I, but sorry. what's the client going to think when I come in and be like, "Yeah, your dog's fine. He's just got." the runs you know what they're gonna think thanks doc that was money well spent you mean i don't have to spend more money to do unnecessary tests and unnecessary treatment why did i even bring him in for my expertise i missed you're work welcome for this 
Yeah, because you were worried about your pet and you did the right thing bringing him in. And I'm super glad to be able to give you the good news that your pet is going to be okay. Um, and I've assessed these things and he has normal vitals. And as you reported, he's still eating and drinking. And so he's going to continue to keep up with his losses as needed. Here are the things I want you to watch for if he stops eating or if this happens, blah, 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 blah. And I, I give him all the things. And you know what? The people are typically very grateful. You're an idiot. I'm going somewhere else. You've wasted my and time. And that is your prerogative. <laughs> That doesn't happen. Everybody thinks that that happens. It doesn't yeah. happen. It That's just like doesn't. with the uh, like customer service stuff. Like you always mm -hmm. hear these. Anytime we um, like people I work with at Lowe's and at restaurants and stuff, mm -hmm. they always um, we weren't like complaining about customers. Like oh oh, everybody's fine. And then they sit there and they explain the three stories that they have over twenty years of experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. And like everybody does their one or two that they have. So it seems like it happens all so the time. Yeah, but, but and then every the, the it always starts it in with like most like. But most oh, people are great. Everybody's great, except for one time I had this and one blah, 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 blah. And for blah, whatever blah. reason, and it's very it's human fun. nature. I guess it's more fun, but those stick out in your mind, right? Yeah. But I, this, I've told this story a lot too. Um, so a lot of people listening maybe even have heard this, but um, this is just, this, this story is just so emblematic. Um, and I think it drives the point home that the clients value your expertise. They understand that when they come in and they pay the examination fee, they are paying you for their expertise. And you do not have to justify spending that $100, $50, $150, whatever that examination fee is. You don't have to spend more of their money to justify the original $50. Yeah, <laughs> like, think about when you have a plumber come over. Yeah. To like clean out your drain. And yeah. he's like, yeah, I'll just run the snake down. Yeah, you totally could have done it. That'll be $150. And you're like, what? You're like, that's a deal. Yeah, exactly. That's what most people are going to say. Um, and they're like, well, you know, I came all the way out here for $150 and that seemed like a waste of your time. So I decided to do all these unnecessary other things to just, you know, verify and double yeah. check everything. See, I, you know, I tightened this one bolt and everything was working perfectly. Um, but I thought, yeah, I just want to make sure they're confident. Yeah, just to be precocious, I uh, ran a chemical and that's going to reseal yeah. all your drains. You won't be able to use your water for water. three days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, and that'll be $6,000. And you're pristine. like, yes, I spent $6,000. You know what? I got my money worth because if he'd only charged me 150 I would have been suspicious like no why I don't know why we think that um like we have to confirm everything or do a bunch of stuff or give this or give that or prescribe something we don't so the story I like to tell we had a, a client that called in um who they she was worried that her dog was bloating she was already had gdv and we said come on you know and she was like two and a half hours away we were like uh luckily we looked in the record and her dog had already had surgery for gdv and was pexied so it was very unlikely that he was a gdv um but we were like do you have somewhere closer she says no i don't have anywhere closer i said okay come on in i, I wasn't the one that talked to her but somebody's like come on in so she arrives um a couple hours later and, you know, the dog walks in and is like, hey, what's up, everybody? He was he was good, um, which, again, made sense. He'd already had his pexy to prevent him from having GDV again. But um, she, like, was scarred from the last one. It's a life-threatening thing, and she wanted to be sure. So she brought the dog in, and I do my exam, and the dog, like, looks wonderful. Like, he looks good. Um, I think he was a Doberman. He was maybe a little gassy, right? Um, and, and mom even came in and said, he looks better now than when I, like, first yeah. saw him. Um, and so I do my exam and I go in and talk to her and I'm like, the, the, the dog, your dog looks really good. I am very comfortable that he does not have GDV. That's not what's going on. Um, and you know, probably it was blah, blah, blah. I don't know what it was. He had a little gas. He's a little tummy ache. I'm not exactly sure, but like, he seems really good right now. However, you know, I recognize, however, that you drove two and a half hours and you know, you might want some additional peace of mind. And so I am happy, and this is how I say it, I can spend more of your money, right? Like we can do the x-rays um, to give you 100% assurance that everything's fine. And I'm, I'm happy to do that because again, you drove a couple of hours to get here. Uh, you know, I feel, I, I doing this, like I feel bad sending you back, but like, I, I don't think we need to. I need you, to, I, I want you to understand. I, I feel very comfortable that your dog doesn't have this, um, but we, we can do that if that will give you some extra peace of mind. And she was like, nope, that sounds great. I trust you. This is wonderful. Great. Um, and so I, I gave her the option, but what was pretty clear, like, I don't think this is necessary. Um, but you know, she's a stranger to me. Um, and so she was like, great. Gets her dog. She drove two and a half hours, stayed for like 20 minutes and then drove two and a half hours back home. And, um, and the next day, um, 
because I didn't know how she was going to be like somebody who's like going to get in the car and drive two and a half hours might want the x-rays. The next day I get a call from our front desk. I was like, Hey, we have a little something for you at the front desk. And this woman had gotten me like a gift, like a little like flower planter thing with a thank you card and was like grateful. She drove two and a half hours for me to say, your dog looks fine. You can go home. And, um, and she was like, thank you. That is what I wanted. I wanted to come to you to get the Pete, not me specifically, but I wanted to come to a veterinarian to get the peace of mind to say that my dog is okay and went home and she was grateful for that. And she used the money she didn't spend on x-rays to buy me a gift. (laughs) And, and I, I, it sticks out because I, it's, I, that, that is the first time I've gotten a gift for like just an exam. Um, that doesn't happen commonly, but it, it was so instructive for me. It drives home the point that they, that our clients understand the value of our expertise. They understand and they appreciate it. They say, I'm coming to you because you have all this knowledge and all this training and all this experience and you care a lot about animals. And so you're not going to intentionally lead me astray. Um, And so I trust you. I trust your judgment. That's literally what I'm paying you for. Um, And even I need that reminder now and again. And this case was just that classic reminder that, no, our clients get it. They get that our time is valuable, that our experience and our expertise is valuable. We often don't believe that. And so we project onto clients that they're going to need a test. They're going to need this. They're going to need yeah, something you're so for much your more time. Knowledge. You know the things that you don't know. Yeah. Whereas they don't know the things that you don't know. But we also need to have a little more confidence in ourselves. Yeah. Um, so That's a funny thing in like working in Lowe's and stuff. Just like what people think that you know yeah. when you work in like, like there are people who work there their first week at Lowe's it's an entire store with everything you could possibly do to your house there and a customer comes in and they assume that you know everything are you saying that you don't well I do oh okay Whew. but like yeah, like the first day like someone working in the garden center and they're going to the bathroom which happens to be by like the plumbing section they're going to get asked a plumbing question. And if you tell them whatever, they'll believe you. And they, There's a they, danger in that. <laughs> yeah. But it's just but like. they're going to trust you. But yeah, they trust you. They have no reason there. not to. And like most people say, it's like, sorry, I don't know yeah. anything yes, about this. Yes, but yes. you totally could. And they would believe you. Yeah. Because people are trusting. Yeah. And as a veterinarian, I think that's the key, yeah. right? The people who to, aren't trusting aren't going to bring you their animal. They're going to do it themselves or they yeah. have a guy. Or they're going to be very clear from the get-go. I'm not like they're, they may not say I'm not going to trust you, but they're going to question everything. They'll have a list of okay. things that you need to do for them. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to say, this isn't going to work. That, yeah, that's what I would say. Um, but the vast majority do. They extend that trust. Um, yeah. They they very much... Um, they they want to trust you again. They they extend that to you. We as a profession in veterinary medicine actually have um, one of the highest rates of trust in, in of any profession. Um, we we really enjoy that, and we need. To, I don't. That's gonna sound weird. We should take advantage of that. But like we we should. We should be like yes. There's a good reason yeah. for you to trust. Because well, you have. I'm like, very trusting. Every veterinarian has at least four years of training. Yeah. Whereas More, like it's. The person working at Lowe's has just started yesterday. Maybe a day, and the training is a scavenger hunt to the store that you don't have to finish. There's quite a bit of regulation, actually, to become a veterinarian. Like, you have to go in the US to an accredited university. Um, And again, most countries have their own regulations on this. You have to pass a national board exam. You have to, um, most states then have a licensing. Like, you have, not most states, all states. You have to then get your state license. Some of those you have to take another test, others you have to, like, Every year, every two years, you have to have do- de- uh, demonstrated you've done a certain amount of continuing education. Like, th- it's a lot to be able to legally practice veterinary medicine, as it should be. But there's, it's, it's okay for people to trust us. I think it's a reasonable thing for them to do. It's actually quite logical um, because the alternative is nothing. I, I know nothing and I'm, everything's just random guessing. So, no, they should be trusting us. Okay, so this is a lot of philosophical discussion. I still, I do want to talk a little bit about some like the nitty gritty things about fluid therapy, like practical things, like what do I do and how do I do it? Uh, We probably won't talk much about viscosity. That's pretty boring Um, and doesn't come up all that often occasionally, but that's a very niche thing. What I, I want to talk about is fluid types and like, when do we give what type of fluid uh, delivery rates? Like how much do I give? Like, what are the practical things? Because a lot of this is very, um, okay, this is where like the clients, you're just like, maybe they shouldn't trust us. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we sort of just make up and say, this seems to work. So let's stick with it. Um, 
And it's important to understand, I've said, I said this at the beginning or early on, um, fluid therapy is hard. It's complicated and I'm making it seem like it's not. Um, but let's say you've decided to give your patient fluids, right? So let's say they need, um, they're not eating and drinking and they're dehydrated. So you have to make up for the dehydration that they had and you have to keep up with their on, like ongoing maintenance needs. So um, the, the tricky part here is that these are two different reasons to give fluids and should be two different types of fluids. So if I'm replacing missing fluids, like for dehydration or hypovolemia, I want to give uh, a fluid type that looks like extracellular fluid, which means it's high in sodium and low in potassium. Um, and we've conveniently named these groups of fluids replacement fluids because they are meant to replace missing fluids. So I can give, um, a, the one I use most commonly is gonna be lactated ringer solution or LRS. It's going to be relatively high in sodium, meaning the sodium is similar to extracellular fluid, and it's going to be low in potassium, which is similar to extracellular fluid. Um, other replacement fluids would be something like 0.9% uh, saline, which is a little higher in sodium and has no potassium. Or there's some proprietary um, replacement fluids like Normasol R, the R stands for replacement, or Plasmolite A, which used to be called Plasmolite 148. And the 148 was how much sodium was in it in milliequivalents per liter, which was cool, but then they renamed it to Plasmolite A, which is meaningless and kind of dumb. Um, but so they all are, have like their kind of similar components. And for rehydration, one of those is appropriate. Or if they're hypovolemic, like we were talking before, same type of fluids. The difference between hypovolemia and dehydration is the rate at which I'm going to replace it. So, Have you ever seen a case where someone put um, an animal on two different of those fluids? Two different replacement fluids? Yeah. That is a good question. I was about to be like, I've probably done that, but I don't think I've done that. No. Okay. Um, that would just be funny. It would be funny. It would be unnecessarily expensive. Um, you could, you like at the same time, they're yeah. like, yeah, mix. No, I don't, okay. I don't think I've seen anyone do that. Well, we are going to talk about giving two different types of fluids at the same time. Like right now, that's what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> so that patient, um, we talked earlier that we can estimate how dehydrated that patient is based on their percentage, right? We go, um, I think you're about 7% dehydrated because I can see that your eyes are sunken in and you're, when I pull up the skin between your shoulder blades, it kind of stays up for a little too long. So you have a prolonged skin tent. So I think you're about 7% dehydrated. And then I can do the math and say, your body weight is this 7% of your body weight is missing. So I can go and calculate how much fluid that would be. Um, and I say, okay, you weigh this much times 7%, that's 1.04 kilograms or 1.04 liters of water. So I need to give you 1.04 liters of fluids to rehydrate you. That's my estimate. And so I'm going to give you 1.04, probably just going to round down to one liter, to be honest. You need to make a dipstick for animals. A dipstick? Yeah, so you can tell how much fluid they have. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Like the oil, like checking the oil yeah. in your car. Yeah. If the water distributed like that, it might work, um, but it doesn't. So good, good idea. It's terrible. <laughs> um, so I'm going to do my 7% dehydration and I'm going to deliver that in the form of LRS or plasmolite um, A or Normasol R or normal saline. And I'm going to give it probably over like 12 or 24 hours. There's nothing magical about 12 or 24. It's just like, some amount of time, uh, some fraction of revolution uh, or the earth's revolution around its axis, because that's how we do our lives. And so 12 hours, eight hours, 24 hours, something like that. And then I'm going to reassess them throughout that time, particularly when that's done, I'm going to reweigh them. Hey, they gained 7% of their body weight. Nailed it. Got the, got the number exactly right. Or, oh, they gained 5%. Maybe that was right. Maybe they're okay now. Um, oh, the patient's doing better. They're eating and drinking. Even if I haven't fully rehydrated them, pfft, they'll, they'll finish it up on their own um, without me. So that's all fine. So I'm going to do that reassessment. However, if you remember in this scenario that I just made up, this dog was also not eating and drinking. So they were 7% dehydrated, but anorexic. So in addition to that one liter or whatever I calculated they needed that I'm going to give over 24 hours, I'm also going to give them maintenance fluids. But maintenance needs are very different than replacement needs. They didn't lose extra fluids. So um, maintenance needs are uh, a different type of fluids. So we have maintenance fluids, which are in general compared to replacement fluids, low in sodium and higher in potassium. Uh, because daily salt needs every day, it's very low. 
Um, so I'm going to use a maintenance fluid, of which we have a few. So there are proprietary ones. So Normasol R make, is the replacement fluid and Normasol M is the maintenance fluid. Again, I like their naming system. I think it's pretty mm-hmm. good. Plasmolite B, which used to be called Plasmolite 56 because that's how much salt was in it, the sodium. 56 was lower than the 148, made sense, but now they call it B, which is dumb, um, but higher in, in potassium. Or I can use the, it's not a, the easiest one or the, I, mean, I shouldn't say the easiest, the cheapest one would be half-string saline. So 0.9% saline, we said before, was the replacement fluid. Half of that or 0.45% saline is just salt and uh, sodium and chloride. We can use as pseudo um, maintenance fluid. It's, it's a lot lower in sodium. And so I'll use that one because it's cheaper than the proprietary ones. And I'll add a little potassium to it probably to make it um, a, a better maintenance solution. But I'm going to use something that's lower in salt um, and that, than the replacement fluids. So for this patient who comes in and I assess it to be dehydrated and it's anorexic, my fluid therapy plan is I'm going to start it on uh, whatever rate I calculate for fluids for rehydration. So it's going to be 27 mils an hour of LRS for the next 24 hours. And at the same time, I'm going to start another fluid, a low sodium maintenance fluid, like half strain saline or Normasol M. And I'm going to run that at 15 mils an hour or whatever I calculate their maintenance rate to be, which is usually somewhere around 50 mils per kg per day divided into an hourly rate. Um, I usually go a little higher if it's a tiny animal and smaller if it's a really big animal. Um, But you can also just say 50 mils per kg per day and then adjust up or down like over time as needed. So they're going to be on two different fluids but one's a maintenance fluid that is lower in salt and one's a replacement fluid that's higher in salt. Now I could also just like do the math and, and make up a third bag of fluids, that's, but this is easier because they come pre-made. It's probably cheaper ones. too. Yes, it's going to be cheaper. Because if you mix up your own, then you have to use partial. Yes, um, and, and so it is going to be cheaper to do that. The other cool part about this strategy is that tomorrow when I reassess this patient, I go, oh, you gained the amount of weight you were supposed to. You're no longer dehydrated. I just stop that replacement fluid. And if they're not eating yet, I just keep them on the maintenance fluid. I don't have to redo anything or make up anything else. So I just keep them going. So the first day they're on two fluids at the same time. Totally fine. You can do this. Um, What The other thing that happens um, commonly is people will just combine the rates. They'll do the math and they'll give all the fluid as a replacement fluid. And this is okay. This is an okay thing to do. I'm not going to say it's a great thing to do, but it's an okay thing to do. Um, Because what's happening is they're getting all the water they need. They're just getting more salt than they need. Um, So it's okay to do this, just like it's okay for you to eat a bag of salty potato chips. It's not exactly considered healthy. It's not like that is the healthiest thing you can do for your life. No, but you can do it. You can have a bag of potato chips with the extra salt. And then what do you think happens to you? With the extra salt? You get all that extra salt? Pee it out. Yeah, your kidneys just have to process it. Now, what yes. what do you think follows all the salt you peed out? Probably chlorine. Yep. And? And? Water. Because you don't pee out salt crystals. So water, you have to get rid of some, some degree of water. It hurts. <laughs> I think it's calcium, um, right? Uh, it depends. There's different yeah. types of rocks that you can pee out. But yeah, it sounds terrible. But generally speaking, our pee comes out in liquid form Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and and that's that's a good thing now we can make our pee more concentrated and we can add more salt to it there's limits to what we can do because there has to be a certain amount of of water in there based on like the physiology of our kidneys um and the, the amount of salt that's in LRS, if we use it in place of a maintenance fluid, is not excessive. It, it's an amount that our kidneys can can handle. Um, but we are asking the kidneys to do more work to figure this out. Like, hey, we're just going to throw some salt at you and you sort it out. Um, they get assaulted. <laughs> they get assaulted. And so I, my argument is, you know, we could be better than that. Uh, that that's really the the point um, I'm, I'm making there is that if the patient needs a maintenance fluid... There's lots of those available. There's it's many. Not tough, like you don't have to do another hole in the animal. You just no. You can go the through the thing. same line. They yeah. can run through the same catheter. They can run through. They can be one can be quote unquote piggybacked into the other line. It's not a problem. Um, and so now there are exceptions. There are times when even I won't do that. I'll just be like, you're just getting LRS, and that might be if money's really tight and it's a small animal. Um, because I would have to buy two separate bags of fluids, and so you're like, oh, that's only twenty dollars. But twenty dollars could make a difference for this patient. And so if if it's an 
animal that like say it's a 40 kilogram dog and they're going to go through multiple bags of fluid, I'm going to get one of each side. Like I'm going to get one low salt maintenance fluid and I'm going to get one high salt replacement fluid and go from there. But if it's like a two kilogram dog with Parvo and I'm like, they might not go through an entire bag of fluids the entire you know week that they might stay here. I'm probably not in order to save a little bit of money. And so there are times when I will also make the choice to, um, to not use the best treatment I can. And it's usually for financial reasons. And I think that's okay, but it's a conscious choice that I'm making. I'm saying I'm weighing out the pros and cons, the risks and benefits of X, Y, and Z and running out of money to treat this patient is probably, in my opinion, higher risk in this patient. And therefore I'm going to give them the extra salt. And in this patient, their kidneys are also functioning as best I can tell. So I'm just going to ask their kidneys to help us out. Now, if that's a patient that has kidney injury, that's maybe I'm going to look somewhere else to cut corners. Or if it's a patient that has heart disease, um, just like people, animals with heart disease don't necessarily handle the extra salt load very well, because what do you think follows salt? Water. Yeah. And so that's where like people get bloated. You have all this, like people that have heart disease have to cut back on their salt intake because human beings eat way too much salt. So good. Thanks kidneys. Yeah, it is really good. It's because we evolved back when we didn't have table salt. We didn't have salt shakers yeah. on our tables. Our Virginia ham. But there's a reason that we crave salt. It's it's an incredibly important electrolyte for us. And so we crave it. Like our we were we evolved so our tongues are like, oh yeah, that's good stuff. That and sugar. Um and we evolved when these things were not abundant and you couldn't just like decide to add a little bit more to your food. Um so you sought it out. And whenever you found it, you're like, Yeah, I gotta get that. That's why in the wild people put like salt licks out for animals, because just chewing up grass doesn't necessarily provide you with as, enough salt. But in modern society, we get plenty and we add it to things because it makes it taste good because we crave it. It's what people crave. (laughs) Um, Anyway. Okay. So that for me, that's the maintenance versus replacement and how like strategically I might do that. I also want to talk about, um, I'm going to go off on a little tangent and then that might be enough for one show because this is a lot, I think. Last thing, last thing I want to talk about is shock. Um, and I don't even want to say this on the air, but I have to, because I have to debunk this. Um, people will talk about the shock dose of fluids and I wish that phrase didn't exist. And I wish we, we could, I wish I could never talk about it again. Um, because there, there really is no such thing as a shock dose of fluids that that this term implies that all patients with shock one have the same kind of shock, but two, even if we called it hypovolemic shock dose of fluids, it would still be wrong. Um, because hypovolemic shock is the type of shock that is treated like the treatment for hypovolemia is to give volume. Um, and it implies that the amount of volume they are missing is the same in all patients, that they just need this dose and that will fix it. And that's just not true. Um, and the the tricky part is, I don't know how much fluid this patient in hypovolemic shock needs to get it out of shock. There's another I thing know. I wonder is like, how fast do they process this water? Like if I just oh, like yeah. shoved a whole liter inside of a cat, would it instantly be able to handle it? No, it'd be, it'd be, be about, like, like oh, that's, oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. So the short version is if you give a bunch of intravenous fluids to a cat or a dog or whatever, you give a bolus of it within about 30 minutes, it's redistributed to the other parts of the body. Yeah, so it's th- pretty minutes. quick, but not it's, that quick. Like you couldn't no, put a whole bag you, in an animal. No. And if you do that, you will fluid overload. Like you can cause problems. You absolutely can. So, um, cause it'd go back to like the balloon thing where yeah, it's, you, it's too like, much. You can pop a balloon without putting the max air if you do it handle, really fast. If you do it really fast. Yeah. If you do it slowly, it can stretch and it can adapt yeah. a little bit better. And that's also true of the animal. So it does redistribute fairly quickly, but you absolutely can give too much. And the other problem with giving a whole lot really fast is you don't have a chance to reassess versus if I give a small amount really quickly and then I check and I go, how are we doing? Okay. I need more. Give a small amount really quickly and then I check. How are we doing? Okay. I need more. Small amount really quickly and I check. Okay. Uh... I have that opportunity to kind of dose it out because if an animal is in shock, I don't know if they need four mils per kilo of crystalloids to get out of shock. I don't know if they need 40 mils per kilo. The shock dose, this, this is always fun. The shock dose of fluids for dogs is reported as 90 mils per kilo. The blood volume, the entire blood volume of a dog is 90 mils per kilo. Mm-hmm. So, 
what we're saying is the shock dose of fluids for a dog is the equivalent. So that would be like saying, you know what's a good idea? To replace the entirety of this dog's blood with salt water. And that is illogical and dumb. And it's also not true. Like most animals need far, far less than 90 mils per kilo to get out of shock. Um, some animals might actually need more than 90 mils per kilo um, if they have ongoing, like if say they're bleeding to death. Now they don't need that in salt water. They might need that in like a blood product or something like that. But shock, um, the body can start to show signs of shock. You already mentioned it um, in some ways, depending on how rapidly you're losing fluids. Where are you losing the fluids from? Like what compartment? Are you losing it from the bloodstream itself? Are you losing it from other compartments? So many things that will factor in to when we start to see the signs of shock shock and the treatment and the amount of fluids that a patient in hypovolemic shock needs to be stabilized varies widely. And so um, I've also seen references or, or people say that the shock dose, this is even worse, is 90 mils per kilo per hour. Two problems with that. One, 90 mils per kilo is still bad. I'm saying maybe more than two problems. <laughs> two, 90 mils per kilo per hour suggests that you can take an hour to get a patient out of shock. And I would say, nope, that's way too long to be in shock. But it also implies you should keep giving it like every hour yeah. until when? I don't know. Until they're just a puddle of water. They're 100% salt water because 67% is just not enough. Um, so 90 mils per kilo per hour, if I could just delete that from the collective world, that that, that was just never, this never, no. No, um, but 90 mils per kilo is also wrong. Do you think that came about because um, like you need to fix shock fast? So like here's just like a, an absurd amount. We yeah. don't think overage will do anything. So just like this is the yeah. max you'll ever need. So there's actually um, some early studies of shock where these numbers come from, where they take dogs and they put them under anesthesia. So one, you've already got anesthesia involved, which means the blood vessels are dilating in approach. So that's complicating things. So part of this is not actually just hypovolemia. But then they, they anesthetize the dogs, they put a bunch of instruments in them, then they cut them open and they slice open their spleens and let them bleed, bleed, bleed until they show signs of shock like the predetermined, your blood pressure is this low and your heart rate's this high. And then they stop the bleeding and then they give them a bunch of salt water until the shock goes away. And they were like, yeah, about 90 mils per kilo, it seemed to work in these cases. Um, so one, big confounder was the general anesthesia. Two, those are, this is a very, very specific circumstance. Three, they also didn't really think about or care about fluid overload back then. They're just like slamming fluids the, in. Like the, what you said, how long it takes to distribute yeah. things. So it's, the animal actually recovered. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes ago. Yeah. They got enough fluids then. Um, it, there's so many, so many issues with that. So that's partly where some of those numbers came yeah. from. Um, and then it just gets propagated and propagated, but like anybody who's been doing this for a while doesn't give 90 mils per kilo, but people still teach 90 mils per kilo as the shock dose. And it drives me bonkers. Mm -hmm. Um, we didn't just, we should all just agree to stop talking about that and just so the next generations come up have never heard it. And they just learn when a patient is in shock, you need to give them a, an amount of fluids. So people will talk about giving a quarter of a shock dose. Well, first you have to memorize a shock dose is 90 and then a quarter of that, which is silly. Yeah, why um, not? You just make it a hundred. So I know, right? It's easier to remember. I know. Well, here's, yeah, exactly. But a quarter of a shock dose could be easy if you, you're in the U.S. and you still look at animals and you go, that weighs this many pounds. Because if you look at the animal's body weight in pounds and add a zero, that's approximately a quarter of a shock dose. Yeah. Um, or even easier, and this is what I do, is I say, okay, what's their weight in kilograms? And it's 10 mils per kilo. And I just give 10 mils per kilo and then, and I give it as quickly as I can. So over like two minutes, you know, slam it in. And then I reassess. As soon as that bolus is in, I reassess. So all the things that told me they were in shock, their heart was, their heart rate was high, their temperature was low, uh, their gum color was white or pale pink, their capillary refill time was too long, their mentation was dull. I slam that fluid bolus in um, over a minute or two, 10 mils per kilo, and then I reassess. Oh, look, the heart rate came down, the temperature came up, the pulse quality's improved, the gum color is better. And so I go, cool, let's pause for a second. Or I go, hey, it's a little bit better, but it's not better enough. I want to do that again. So boom, I'm going to give another 10. So I do 10 mil per kilo aliquots in most cases. Um, animals that have like pre-existing heart disease or something, I might do smaller, like five mils per kilo. Um, and that's of a crystalloid, like of a, of a, a replacement crystalloid. So LRS or something. And then I'm just going to reassess until I feel like they've gotten enough or I've given them enough that I think it should have made a difference. If it's not making a difference, then I have to like recalibrate and be like, Hmm, why is this not working? Because 30 mils per kilo should have made a difference in most patients. If I've done that over cumulatively over like 10 minutes. Um, and so I have to wonder, was my assessment wrong and it was not hypovolemic shock or 
it is, but they're still losing fluids and I have to figure out how to stop the fluids from being like they're bleeding somewhere. I might have to go and tie off the bleeder or something. Um, so I think that's also really important is delete shock dose. It's not a real thing. Get rid of it. Ah, forget you ever learned it. Amnesia. More. Um, yeah. Unless There's so much more. There's so not my tests. tests, not my tests. Oh my gosh. If it's on the Navli, I should, I should protest that. It shouldn't be. We should not be teaching people this. It's just, it's misleading and it's confusing and it, it just doesn't make sense. I hate it so much. If you couldn't tell. Okay. I, I could go on and on and on. This could be like a 900 hour podcast, but I think we probably should. No stop one soon. has that far to drive or run. <laughs> right. Um, you need to, if you've been running for this whole, stop and have some Gatorade um, or salt water, some water or like a, water and a snack. That would also be fine. Yeah. You need some solute too, not just the water. You'll get hyponatremic. Water and a goo. And a goo. <laughs> um, okay. I talked a lot. Fluids is, is yeah. Uh, yeah. My mouth's a little dry. No, not really. It's fine. I'm totally fine. I'm adapted for this. Um, what are your thoughts? Anything you want to add or subtract? <laughs> We're going to go and edit half of this out because it was obnoxious. No, we don't edit. No, we never edit. This is, you get what you get. Yeah, it seems It seems like it, it's not that difficult. Even it's though you so hard. You just give it a little bit at a time. The, the, the concepts don't seen that when hard they don't need it, but in stop. real life it's actually pretty hard because yeah. you have to look at the patient and be like well what does that mean well that could be caused by nine other things but it could also be caused by the fluid stuff i think that's what makes it hard is that you don't know for sure that the physiologic changes you're seeing are caused by fluid shifts and you just kind of have to try sometimes um but understanding the physiology helps a lot uh that's probably enough for now though yeah but I mean, keep practicing look it up it looks like a dog yeah. it's good where it's like, oh, that <laughs> looks like questions. a dumpy dog. Yeah. Let's give it some fluids. But think about it. Um, does it make sense to give it some nah, fluids? Yeah, just do it. No. <laughs> and then if it still looks like a dumpy dog, stop. Oh, it starts looking better. That's a little stop. better. That's a little better. But like, don't just do it just because like, have a reason. Have a real reason. It looks like I a dumpy I think it's dog. dehydrated. For, but And I think it's because it's dehydrated. Please add that piece before you give the fluids. Because otherwise, <laughs> that dumpy dog could be in congestive heart failure. And Topher just gave it fluids and made it worse. Yeah, you can get a new dog. <laughs> You are awful. Oh my gosh. The, We're not going to let you host anymore. What was the really sad dog from the cartoons? I can't remember. Little brother. No, that's oh. older than that. Older than that? The really sad dog from the cartoons? Yeah. What cartoon? Like, oh, Droopy Dog. Oh. With, was Droopy Dog yeah. dehydrated? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, probably. I think he was high. I think <laughs> he was on drugs. Okay. That's enough because I could just go on and on and on and then Topher will say something inappropriate and you'll get confused. So, uh, yeah, if you don't care about fluids as much as I do, that's okay, but you should care a lot. Um, but it's okay to be confused because it's confusing and it's hard. Maybe we'll talk about it some more some other time. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>